the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'd wager good money that it's not your first time hearing a sermon on Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, nor will it be your last. And of all the sermons preached about the subject, this morning's is certainly one of them. The kingdom of Israel only remained united for a short while. The tribes of Israel united under King Saul, defeated its enemies under David, and flourished under Solomon, whose son, Rehoboam, saw the northern ten tribes rebel and form their own separate kingdom, leaving him and the last two tribes with the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom, called confusingly Israel, found the Hebrew scriptures quite inconvenient. For they pointed toward and proclaimed the city of Jerusalem as the site of God's temple, the one place in creation where heaven and earth met, and where God himself guaranteed he could be found. So they, the kings of the north, appointed priests to their own liking, and scribes who did their bidding. They knew if they followed scripture and looked to the temple as God had intended, their own power would always remain vulnerable. So they rewrote scripture, attempted to model religion based on the old ways of worshiping God at the high places, building altars on mountains and hills. But soon, having broken their covenant with God, he withdrew his protection. They were vulnerable to outside forces and they would be the first to find themselves exiled and captive before their southern brethren. But unlike Judah to the south, the north would be annexed to pagans. When the people of the north returned, they would combine their religion with the new inhabitants. This new melting pot would be known as Samaria. And that history provides a backdrop for today's gospel parable, as well as much of what we encounter in the New Testament. So it would be truly shocking to the hearers of Jesus' day to hear that the Samaritan was the one being neighborly, rather than the priest or Levite. It would be a bit like hearing a parable with a nun as a villain, and Joe Osteen as the hero. And we've heard it said so many times that it might have lost its impact. Of course we should help someone dying in the road. What Christian wouldn't stop to help? None of us, I'm certain. Fine. Good. It must be that all of us love our neighbors as ourselves. We are certainly a very holy bunch and can all all go home self-satisfied. But the fact of the matter is that the parable still leaves us convicted. At least it does me. Am I really a neighbor to everyone I meet? Perhaps it may be helpful to turn the parable around and look at it from another direction. Because we often think of the Samaritan as the protagonist of the story. And while he's certainly the hero, I'm not sure he's the subject. After all, the priest and Levite ignore the wounded man, but the Samaritan was unaware that they had been by. Their actions are contrasted by Jesus the narrator, but his actions, those of the Samaritan, were independent. No, it's the wounded man's story. It is he who encounters all three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. It matters little that he may have been unaware of their actions or even the nationality of his eventual helper. It is his story. And so it should be to him where our definition of neighbor should ultimately rest and interpret the actions of the Samaritan who recognized him as his neighbor. The key here is, I believe, that the man was in need of rescue. He was in need of help, just as each of us find ourselves in the same need. No one likes to ask for help, and even less to accept it. No one wants to admit that they're powerless to affect change in their lives, lack the ability to provide for their family, or find fulfillment. 
Now, we might say we want help in those things, but we never actually want help. What we usually are asking for when we ask for help is someone to fix our problem, and there's a difference between the two. What we want is for the problem to go away, not to work through the problem. We want shortcuts, the secret key to success. We don't want actual help. We want to avoid struggle. The same holds true when helping others. We think we have to fix the other's problem, not share in their struggle. We want to make the burden go away instead of helping them to shoulder it. We want to just hire movers rather than helping them lug boxes in the move. But we all need help, every one of us. We're all in need, desperate need. Often, we don't know what help we need and don't know what to ask for help with, just that we need help, so we don't ask. But that's precisely when we should ask for help. I need help. With what? I don't know. Just help. Help me. But the man on the side of the road didn't ask for help. He couldn't. The Samaritan saw his need and responded. He helped in the way that he could because he saw the need and addressed it. That is the other key to understanding what it means to be a neighbor. It is a reciprocal relationship. If we listen to the parable and think only of ourselves, what do I do? How do I respond? What does it mean for me to be a neighbor? We miss an essential point. Neighbors are in relationship with one another. All it requires from us is to take that first essential step of reaching out and changing our relationship with someone else from stranger to neighbor. Helping another person is a bond that binds us as neighbors so that we are not merely humans who find ourselves in proximity to one another at the same time in the same place, but by becoming each other's neighbor. Offering help is the first movement in neighborliness but the conclusion that seals the deal is accepting that help, which may in fact be the toughest part for us. The man in the parable was powerless to resist the offer of help from the Samaritan. But we can imagine from the animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans that had he been conscious, he may well have refused help. We shall never know. What we do know is that before God, we are each powerless to resist the help of God. We can squander it, we can treat it shabbily, we can misuse and abuse it, but we cannot stop it. If we want to receive its full effect, however, we can ask and we can accept it. We can be appreciative even if we don't yet understand. God is helping us even if we don't know exactly what we're going through is helping us. But when we do try and appreciate it, the world opens up for us. We can give help to others as God gives out of an abundance of love and not in a bid to inherit eternal life, as if it were something we could earn by certain acts. No, we can be helped and offer help because we have eternal life flowing within us. When we realize how God has helped us through our struggles, rather than making them go away, we can see the way in which God manifests his love for us in service. In his service to us, he guides as a parent teaches a child to ride a bike. We as his children must still learn to find our balance. He doesn't do it for us. He can't or it wouldn't be our balance. It wouldn't be our skill that we acquire. In order to make it through the problem, he helps us find a solution together. When we experience and pray 
and come to a proper understanding of his help, we can then begin to offer to him and to others that true and laudable service in imitation of his mercy towards us. Go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.